This is B-Sides. I'm Pastor Brandon McCulloch. On Sunday, I preached from Jeremiah chapters 35 to 39 called The Call to Creative Work. A sermon that was a bit off the beaten path, I guess you could say. But nonetheless, I think it touched something that we don't give enough consideration to. And that being, how is God calling us to express our creativity in his world? Creativity is one of those components that incorporates our entire being, body, soul, and spirit. The body obviously has to do something to express the the creativity, whether it's singing or writing or taking a photograph or painting or uh, decorating. Uh, The soul is the thing that gets inspired, that drives the body to go into the action, that appreciates the beauty and the spirit. When we engage in creativity... Our spirit sings with God's spirit because we are engaging in the very thing that makes God, God. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's something so entirely satisfying and refreshing, something that completes us when we take up the call to creative work. So we talked in the message about how Jeremiah was told, take up a scroll. And he took up the scroll and he wrote as God had told him to. So what is the scroll that you need to take up? As you heard in the opening, it's a rainy day today. I think because the heavens are weeping. It's January 17th, 2019, and today, beloved poet Mary Oliver passed away. And it's almost ironic, because in the message on Sunday, I opened the message with a quotation from her writing. And then this very Thursday, she passes away. And so, in a span of less than six months, two of my favorite authors have passed away. Um, So you may remember from the message, it was this. And I actually, um, it's written in the front leaf of this year's journal. The most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power restive and uprising and gave to it neither power nor time. I have that quote in the front leaflet of this year's journal because it was last year, around New Year, that I was reading in Revelation, something I tend to do around the New Year every year. And in the first chapter, God spoke to me when he, when Jesus tells John to write what you have seen. And it just hit me. That's what I need to do this year. So in 2018, I decided to dedicate more energy to journaling. I've always journaled, but I felt that there was more in me that needed to be expressed. 
I decided to be more intentional and not um, not just randomly once in a while, but try to create a discipline. And it's amazing how it changes the way you think about things. And one of the things I did, because you don't always get these grand insights from heaven or um, you're not always reading a book and finding something worth writing about. But um, for me, I, I, I started these entries called examines where I would simply write down three or so memories from the day and just reflect on them. What was God maybe showing me that? How could I have been a better person or where did I fail or what have I enjoyed or who or what am I thankful for? And just looking at those, or just writing those down. As that process went on, um, there's just been more God's been stirring on my heart. And it's amazing how just starting to write things down, you see things differently. And then more starts coming it's, it's as if we feel like we have no creative ability because we're like dams holding back our creativity, right? We've, through a lot of necessity, learned to be practical and get things done to survive. And we've built the dam up so we can get the job done. But then God calls, like to Jeremiah, take up a scroll, Jeremiah. And at first, we're like, what do I do with this? It's like drilling a little hole in the dam, right? You just start and a little trickle happens. But then as the water moves through that little hole, it begins to work its way through the hole and enlarge it. Soon, the entire dam is going to collapse, especially if we keep working at it and keep putting more holes in it. And so soon, this torrent of stuff that has been packed and buried away within us can come out. So my thing is writing, and I ex- explored, um, just as I've been sharing, just things that I'm reading, things that God's been showing me, um, explored with some poetry, you know, not very good at it, but it was fun, and it, it helped me see the world in a very different way. Um, God said, write what you have seen. So I'm trying to write what I have seen. Now, yours doesn't have to be that. Although on a side note, I do highly encourage journaling just as a Christian discipline. It seems that a lot of, um, a lot of Christians who have depth to their walk seem to be journalers. Now it's not the journal itself, obviously, that gives you the depth, but there's something there that assists us in reflecting God's work in our life. So, um, early on in my life, I decided I need to have a journal and then I've kept at it since and trying to be more disciplined about it. But Mary Oliver, back to her poem. There's, and I didn't take the time to explain it in the message, but there's this part to the quote that I think needs to be explained a little bit. So the most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work. I think we get this. Who felt their own creative power rest of an uprising and gave to it neither power nor time. So the regretful people are those that do nothing with their creativity. They just hold the dam back their entire life, right? But she says, those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power, and then it's these two words, restive and uprising. Those are rebellious words. I don't know if you see that. Restive, I actually had to look the word up. Now, of course, uprising, you know, it's the picture of a people rising up against their oppressive government, right? There's a strength, there's a coming together that's, that's rising up to take control. Restive means to stubbornly resist control or marked by impatience or uneasiness. 
I believe it's that first part that this is meant to refer to. Stubbornly resisting control. You feel your creative power stubbornly resisting to be controlled and uprising in revolt. Now, that might sound rebellious, but to a degree, rebellion can be good when it's rebelling against the forces of banality that hypnotize us into this lethargic mode of being. God wants us to come alive. And if the creative power is that restive and uprising force that will refuse to serve the king and his mundane kingdom, then so be it. Let it fly. There's an example of King Zedekiah not allowing his creative power, his restive and uprising power, to come into play. He is a man of silly putty in Jeremiah. Silly putty. You know, that stuff that you can form real easily. There's this interesting tension, and we looked at it very briefly in the message. But just to spell it out maybe a little more clearly here, he was wavering. He was formed like silly putty by Jeremiah and by his princes. And there's this question in in Zedekiah's life. Will I submit to the scroll that Jeremiah writes or will I resist it? And he has two examples ahead of him. His father, Zedekiah, is the third son of King Josiah who led a, a revival when they discovered the scroll of Deuteronomy in the temple. Josiah submitted to that scroll. Is Zedekiah going to be like his father, Josiah? Or is he going to be like his older brother, Jehoiakim, who was Josiah's second son? Jehoiakim was the king on the throne when Jeremiah wrote his scroll and gave it to him. And as we read and heard in the message, um, Zedekiah refused the scroll. In fact, he didn't just say, no, I don't want it. He cut out pieces and then threw it into the fire. Is Zedekiah going to react like Josiah, submit to the scroll, or act like Jehoiakim and resist the scroll. But in Zedekiah, we don't see him able to come to an answer. On one hand, he is convicted by Jeremiah's message, we must surrender to the Babylonians. But on the other hand, he's pressured by the princes of Jerusalem who say, never surrender. God is with us. He's behind us. We must fight. He believes Jeremiah is speaking the word of God, but he cannot let go of his fear and the pressure from the princes. Zedekiah is silly putty. He is not an acting agent. Life acts upon him. He is passive he is Play-Doh. He is silly putty. He cannot make up his mind. Well, friends, your creative power is restive and uprising. And if only Zedekiah had some of that restive and uprising creative work bubbling up within him, and maybe he did, but maybe he didn't let it out. If he would have had a creative outlet, he would have found within his soul the strength to resist those trying to bully him. 
And that's what I want to say, is I think that when we develop a creative aspect in our life, we're developing a resilience and a resistance to evil in the world. One of the ways Satan tries to get to us is, yes, through persecution. But here in the States, we've not been very persecuted. So what he does instead is he comes at us through the back door. He tries to lull us to sleep. Creativity does not let you sleep. Creativity, in fact, awakens you in the middle of the night with an idea. Creativity comes to you in your dreams. Creativity shocks you into seeing another angle of the world. Creativity connects two unlikely things and puts them together and shows you their natural relationship. Creativity disturbs us. Creativity makes us stop for a moment and actually pay attention as if we've never seen something before. Creativity has the ability to keep our soul and our spirit and our body active, attentive, and alive. Awareness. That's what creativity does. And the devil has no work against that. If we remain attentive and alive and creative. Now, he can use creativity, right? He can, he can, like in a movie, he can um, pollute it with things and worldviews that we don't want to follow. But ultimately, that's not a creative work because it doesn't reflect the creator. There may be some beautiful shots and scenery, but it's actually a corruption of creation. But without getting too far into movie rants, um, a lot of films do have a ton of creativity. And, and personally, those are the ones I love, the ones that make me think differently. They just say, wow, God's world is great. And that happens many times for me, regardless of the movie coming from a Christian perspective or not. Because God, the creator, has put his fingerprints all over his creation. And those who know the creator know how to spot them. And that's what I want us to do. And that's really what it means to take up your scroll is to start looking for the fingerprints of God in life and experiencing them. Then we will not be the silly putties at Akiah. Convicted here, pressured there, unable to decide if we're going to follow father's footsteps or big brother's footsteps. What do I do? I don't know. Now, if you're pushed around too much, Maybe it's time that you do one thing. You take out that scroll and you let creativity fly. Then you will feel the rest of an uprising power that Zedekiah lacked and Jeremiah clearly, clearly possessed. In fact, it was... It was so such a strong point for Jeremiah, or, or the creativity gave him such strength. You remember how God described what he would be like when he called him? God said that you, Jeremiah, I will make you, this is 118, I will make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares Yahweh, to deliver you. Jeremiah was not silly putty. He was a fortified city. So, don't choose the regretful path of Jehoiakim or Zedekiah. If you feel the call to creative work, 
Don't neglect it, power, or time. If you feel your own creative power restive and uprising, don't stifle it. Don't suffocate it. Let it loose. It may or may not bless the world, but it will. It will enrich you. People feel joy as opposed to mere pleasure to the extent that their activities are creative. While the growth of tools beyond a certain point increases regimentation, dependence, exploitation, and impotence. Ivan Illich God has something to say, and he wants us to know what it is. He is not secretive, delighting in keeping us in the dark. He reveals. He reveals in a form that is accessible to us. Eugene Peterson. That accessible way in which God reveals himself to us is through his word. And one of the ways we can look at Jeremiah's scroll is what happens when Jehoiakim receives it. Jehoiakim treats the scroll the way some people treat the word of God. They hear it, they read through it, and then they start cutting it up. Now, some do this to critique it and to find its contradictions. But what they do when they cut up the Bible and find contradictions is not that the Bible contradicts itself, but that the Bible's contradicting them. That's why they want to cut it up. Or they cut it up because there are parts they like and they don't like. It's well known that Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible, where he would cut out the supernatural passages and keep all the rest. He, like Jehoiakim, literally cut it up. But then sometimes what we do is we come to the Bible and all we want are heartwarming verses. We don't want the story. We don't want the whole gospel. We don't want the entire narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We don't want the hard, dark passages of the challenging calls to transformation. We just want to cut out the nice little verses that can warm us like a nice little fire. But be careful. Jehoiakim was warmed by the same passages. Only he destroyed them. And we can inadvertently by seeking to make the Bible simply a tool at our pleasure, we could be inadvertently cutting it to pieces and throwing it in the fire. Yes, the Bible comforts. And yes, I am not saying you should never be comforted by the Bible. But the Bible also convicts. It also compels us to change. It looks at us like a mirror. And that is one of the things we should do when we are reading the Bible. And I've said this many times. We need to let the Bible read us rather than us read the Bible. Jehoiakim's an example. As the scroll is read to Jehoiakim, he feels it reading him. He knows what it's saying. He just doesn't like it. So... He tries to read it in turn by cutting it up, cutting this phrase out here, that phrase there. And in a sense, one wonders, 
If when we try to do our so-called theological work or deeper Bible study, if what we're really trying to do is avoid the voice speaking clearly and powerfully through the text. We don't like what it says sometimes. We don't like how it's reading us. So instead we get busy with Bible study. We get busy with details, with cultural information, historical facts, the literary makeup of the passage. Oh, I know I've been guilty of this. It's why I, it's why I have the, the perspective to speak on it. I think earlier in my life, much of when I got into Bible study and started learning about the Bible, much of what I was doing was, I, well, frankly, I was shutting out the voice of God from it. Yes, it is God's word, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna study it and pull it apart and put this piece here and that piece there and see how it all lays out. And there are lots of theological books that do this. They outline all these themes and, and they're pulling verses from here and there. And I'm not saying they're wrong at all. We need theology and we need to do Bible study and we need some of these works, but it can get in the way unless we allow space. It can get in the way of letting it speak. We're trying to do the speaking for it. We're defending it. We're explaining it. We're putting pieces of it together. But the Bible is more than capable of speaking on its own. It only takes a heart open and ears listening. It only takes the willingness to sit in silence. And not just once. I think people try this like, well, God didn't do anything and they give up. It's the habit. It's the showing up every day to hear from the word of God that it will then start to speak. It's almost like the Bible is waiting to see how willing you are to be read by it. Now consider this. If I'm trying to read a book, I cannot read a book if its pages are flapping in the wind, right? I would have to hold the pages still I cannot read a book if someone is moving it and waving it in and out of my face. Part of what it takes to read something is that it sits still. Then I can see the words and process what it's saying. In the same way, if we want scripture to read us and give us feedback about how we're doing and where we need to change and where God's leading us in our lives and to hear his voice, then we need to be like a book. We need to lay ourselves open before him, right? The covers have to be open. You can't keep the covers of the book shut. And we must sit still. Then the Bible can read us. And you can't read a book in two minutes. It's going to take time. And most people read books over the course of many days. And so too, the Bible will read us over the course of many days. So we have to show up, we have to open up, we have to sit still, and we have to keep coming every day. And of course, it's not like a streak thing, like on social media, hey, you've, you've, you've posted this many days in a row. It's... <laughs> It's not like, oh, I broke the streak. No, no, you just show up as frequently as you can. Try to make it every day. And by the way, it hit me as we're talking about you got to open the covers. I think some of us struggle here because we stay in the covers of our bed maybe a little too long. Maybe we have to open those covers too so that we can open the covers of our Bible. And you know what? Maybe it's going to work for you. Keep your Bible by your nightstand. Read a little bit before you go to bed. In the covers is fine. Don't be super literal about this. Uh, maybe when you wake up, right there, you know, 
uh, maybe that'll help you before the day distracts you. Or if you need your coffee first, put it by the coffee maker. I just don't want to see us miss out on the living power and speaking presence the Bible has. There's the word of God that we read, but then there's behind that the voice of God that reads to us, right? It speaks to us. Jehoiakim didn't want either. He cut it up. And I want us to be careful that we become good listeners of scripture, unlike Jehoiakim. That we see that God spoke very creatively through people who were willing vessels, who were obedient to his call, who were obedient to his guiding of the pen on the page and appreciate what's there because everything is there with purpose and intent. And some of it will not be for you, but some of it will be. And you will only be enriched simply by showing up. this in a Christian magazine recently actually about reading it was called an art, the article was called The Good Reader I found this intriguing it said there is something in the very form of reading the shape of the action itself that trends toward virtue the attentiveness necessary for deep reading requires patience The skills of interpretation and evaluation require prudence. Even the simple decision to set aside time and read in a world rife with so many other choices competing for our attention requires a kind of temperance. And this article is by Karen Swallow Pryor. And in it, she identifies the four marks of the good reader. And I think that this may be helpful as we approach scripture and want to be good readers of it rather than being like Jehoiakim and being excellent arts and craft makers of it or cutting it to pieces. Uh, I think you know what where I'm going with that. Um, reading well. One, it starts with understanding. You've got to see the words on the page. And I think every now and then we see these words that we kind of gloss over them because we're not sure we understand them. It's not wrong to pick up a dictionary every now and then. Make sure you understand what the word actually is. And it can actually illuminate what you're reading. Here's what I, I really appreciate when I'm reading scripture is I'm reading it. And I'm just trying to let the message or the story or the poem, whatever part of scripture I'm reading, just to kind of impact my imagination, but I'm always paying attention for a word or a phrase that just for some reason kicks me. It just seems to leap off the page a little more than other words. It doesn't happen every time you read, but often enough, often enough. And it's then that I want to just focus on that and try to see what is this word wanting to say to me? So it just starts with understanding that the fact that there are words, pay attention to the words. Two, pleasure We read better when we actually enjoy what we're reading. Um, So that's true of just reading in general, but obviously with the Bible. So look, if you've been trying to just trudge through Leviticus and and you wonder why you're having a hard time reading the Bible, well, maybe you're not ready for Leviticus. Leviticus is not necessarily a pleasurable read. Now it's there and it's important, but work your way up to Leviticus. Start with something you enjoy. 
If you don't enjoy reading Jeremiah, don't read Jeremiah. Pick up the Proverbs. Most people enjoy those. Or the Psalms. Or one of the Gospels. Or one of Paul's shorter and simpler letters. But you may start with Romans and find the arguments a bit too heady. Yeah, they might be. Stick with what you enjoy. Then you will actually read. So understanding, pleasure. Three, demanding. Demand books that make demands on you. I cannot think of a better book than the Bible that fulfills that qualification. The Bible makes huge demands on us. So I think it's our part to be aware of what those demands are rather than just reading it to be warmed by the fire. The Bible is not fuel for your heartwarming fire. (laughs) Four, read slow. Reading is not a race. And speed reading is a lie. Reading ought to be a meditation and prayer. Now, some people can do the one-year Bible, and good for them. Generally, that puts you on an average of about four chapters a day. I personally cannot do the one-year Bible. I have a much slower pace. And that's okay. I'm not saying mine's better. If you can do the one-year Bible and just fine, great. Good for you. You're getting a lot more in one year than I am. But I just love savoring small passages at a time. I often read less than a chapter, especially in the Gospels. I like to just read one of those little episodes and just let the scene wash over me and see what God wants to say about it. Where am I in it? I'm letting it read me, right? Um, It's okay to go slow. Reading the Bible is not a race. It's not a competition. It's food. By the way, food. We eat very fast in America. They say we need to chew our food like two dozen times before we swallow. I know for a fact I don't do that. We don't scarf scripture down. We enjoy it. Smelling its aromas, tasting the complexity of its flavors, appreciating how well it's been made and prepared for us. So we have understanding, pleasure, demanding, slow, and fifth, Notes. Read with a pen. Mark the pages. Or, if you don't like marking in your Bible, then fill a journal. I just think that the Bible sets in us better when we have a place to respond. And you can respond in prayer, that's great, but also put it on paper. There's something meditative about the actual act of writing something down with pen and paper in which these things get more solidified in us. And I, I, I tend to just hear, like, I'm, while I'm writing, I'm listening. And, and, and the writing itself sometimes brings out these thoughts I didn't have before I started writing. It's a form of, one of my friends uses journaling every morning as a form of prayer. That's not a bad thing. And, and the cool thing, too, is that you can always look back on these. And I've done that many times. I don't actually sit down and say, I'm going to read through a journal now. But sometimes I'm looking for something. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling weird this month. What was I going through this month last year? I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So around this time of year, I typically struggle with this aspect of life. Or I remember God showing me this. When was that? And what was going on in my life during that time? And then I go back and read. And I'm like, oh, there's so much more detail here than I recall. And it can be really, really beneficial to look back. And it's a chronicle of, of your journey with God. So reading well. Let's not read like Jehoiakim. Let's read the scriptures well. Let's read with understanding. Let's read with pleasure. Let's understand it's making demands on us. Let's read slow or whatever that means for you. And let's take notes. 
Oh, by the way, and I know some people don't like writing their Bible, but I love writing in my Bible. And I love, now that um, I'm teaching many books for the second or third time in this very Bible, um, it's the Bible that's lasted me the longest, um, it's really cool to see how I used to highlight things or things that stuck out to me. And this time, um, I'm p- noting different things. And so there's like layers now of notes and marks. And so I used to be a person who would, I was a very simple, I just circle the number of the verse of things that stuck out to me, or I'd underline just a simple line under a word. But now I'm getting into... Um, it's mostly to help my teaching, but I'm also loving how colorful the page gets. Um, I'm into using colored pencils now and highlighting words, phrases, verses with different colors that mean different things to me. So um, now that's been fun to um, you go back um, to other books that I've taught since I've used the colored pencil and you're like, whoa, this is a colorful page. And um, but there's also something to be said about reading a Bible that doesn't have notes in it, because then you're allowing a fresh word. You're not kind of relying on what you did see in this in the past. So there's pros and cons to each. Um, so you can do either or. Um, sometimes it's good maybe to put notes in your Bible or just keep it in a journal. And, and then have a blank Bible that doesn't have any markings in it that you read when you just want a, f- a fresh page. Uh, there's just so many different ways to go about this. I just think the the key is... Do it. Do it, do it, do it. And don't forget to keep a playful, creative mind when you read the Bible. God is a creator, and he will speak to you in ways and from words and put concepts together that you did not see coming. And that's when he speaks the most powerfully. Jesus chose to speak in parables, which were very creative, because he knew that the creative approach hit us the deepest. Because there's a sense when things can become common and ordinary. I've heard this passage many times. I know the flood story by heart. I don't need to read this. It can become kind of mundane, right? But when we're open to creativity, see what creativity does is it comes from an angle we didn't know existed. And it really hits us. That, by the way, is what humor is. Humor is really a form of creativity. The reason we laugh is because we think things are going in the predictable pattern. And then all of a sudden, an absurd direction pops up in the middle. And it surprises us so much that we laugh. That's how humor works. And that's often how creativity works, too. Even if it's not funny, that it's just, it surprises us. And so sometimes creativity causes us to laugh. Sometimes it causes us to wonder. Sometimes it gets past all of our defenses and hits us right where it counts. So, my friends, take up a scroll and write. Also, take up that scroll called the Bible and read. And read well. This is Pastor Brandon with Grace and Gratitude. Thank you for listening.